Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. It is so great to be here with you on The Advertising Show, being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at age.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. Back in 2010, we had the pleasure of speaking to writer and all-around funny guy. Yeah, funny guy. He takes an interesting uh, view at life and marketing and advertising. His name is Jonathan Baskin out of Chicago. Advertising show is powered by Shipple.com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. An incredibly powerful platform for web marketing and such. Check it out. Ready to hear more from Jonathan? Let's do it. Jonathan Baskin is our very special guest out of Chicago. As we said before, he's been called a merry iconoclast. Uh, and uh, among other things, Jonathan wears multiple hats as a global brand strategist, leading a global network of partner companies in uh, the uh, Baskin Brand Alliance and manages North American business for the global marketing consultancy Future Lab. Also a writer, oft-quoted media expert and public speaker, having written the uh, groundbreaking book Branding Only Works on Cattle <laughs> in 2008, then Bright Lights and Dim Bulbs in 09. He writes a very, very popular bo- uh, blog that you're probably aware of. It's uh, dimbulb.net. And uh, we bring Jonathan to the show with uh, a lot of anticipation of... of um, a good conversation, and we'll possibly even learn some more stuff there, too, as well. He can't be all bad. He began his uh, career at Gray Advertising, which we all have uh, an affinity for as well. So, Jonathan, it is so nice to have you here at the Advertising Show. Welcome. Oh, Ray, thank you very much. And, and Brad, I, I want to build on something you just said a, a, in, a little while ago about Apple 10 years ago. I actually was a part of the executive committee at Apple when we launched the first iMac. And it was oh, wow. a thrilling experience, and I did my two cents worth. I'm not claiming to have been any great visionary, but I was a part of that team. And my, my brilliant marketing insight was, hmm, iMac, one-trick pony. I don't see a future. <laughs> and I <laughs> moved on. So just, just in terms of the, my, my humility here, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not always right. <laughs> <laughs> was 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 uh, Steve Jobs around the table, and did you answer to him, or who did yeah, you he actually. To? I was the. Uh, I worked at a, at Edelman PR at the time, and so I ran the agency team, and we actually had a, a five-hour weekly uh, executive marketing team meeting with Steve and Lee Clow and a couple of the other Phil Schiller, a couple of the other senior folks at Apple. So. I don't yeah. think he could pick me out of a lineup, um, even the mm-hmm. you know the, the minute after I walked out of the room. But uh, yeah, I spent about nine months uh, uh, working on the iMac launch, and uh, the first uh, Sherlock was the search tool. And uh, you're right, though; those were different times for Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lee Cloud, for those that may not know, a creative genius out of uh, Shire Day. Uh, uh, is that right, Shire Day? Yeah. Yep, that's right. He looks yeah. like Jesus Christ. Yeah, I always thought he looked like the founder of the Muppets myself. <laughs> So you're Jim saying? Hamm- so you're saying you're going to get in trouble, just like uh, they did on the. Uh, no, I mean he really he does South resemble Park. him. Yeah, <laughs> you know right. we came to know Jonathan through a CMO article out of Ad Age uh, entitled "Don't Have Plans Yet for Holiday Selling Season." You're in trouble, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, Jonathan. But before we do that, the advertising show is on Facebook, and we're also on Twitter at the Ad Show for those that are interested in following us and. And I'm curious, just to get your take, has social media 
technology made for a better conversation these days, Jonathan, or just more uh, more conversation? Yeah, that's a great question, and 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 I I think I would I would err on the side of more different, varied, and at times purposeless. I I think social media generally is a, a an amazing technology in search of meaning and purpose, and I, I'm not certain we've really cracked the code yet on it. I think we've found a lot of fun ways to occupy people's time and do entertaining things with it, but ultimately the major drivers of social media usage have nothing to do with marketing or with the messages that we marketers and brand folks want people to consume. So we've really yet to crack the code on that mechanism of socialness that is enabled by the technology. But I do think that there is an immense opportunity to do it. I just don't think anybody knows how. So do you tweet, Jonathan? And did you notice how I kept my question within 140 characters? (laughs) (laughs) And mine was distinctly longer. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you blog. That's different. You're allowed to do that, right? Yeah, but blogging is still last last decade. (laughs) True, true. Do you you tweet, Jonathan? Uh, I really don't. Um, I, uh, I send out a tweet when I post on my blog or when my ad age column runs um but i uh to brutal honesty i can't really figure out why um why to do it um i i I haven't i personally not cracked the code on why i why i need to do it you and a million other people yeah right yeah i mean there there are legitimate reasons and and companies uh, can use it legitimately and meaningfully and i think the advertising show can do that in telling people who upcoming guests are or allow our followers to ask questions of upcoming guests. And yet I agree with you. Uh, there are many out there that use it for no other reason than, well, you just have to scratch your head and figure it out, I suppose. Let's get into the uh, CMO strategy article entitled, and I just love this title, Don't Have Plans for Holiday season, uh, Selling Season Yet? Well, you may be in trouble. So to start <laughs> it off, Jonathan, the holiday season is you say, but a calendar entry that no longer guarantees consumers will show up and buy. So are you saying that for those companies out there that are usually expecting a spike in sales during the holiday seasons that they've become accustomed to, that this this for sure spike is something that will be a part of the past and never come again? Well, I don't know if it... it, 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 I tend to talk in extremes sometimes just because it's... uh entertaining to me, but, I, but uh, I, I, don't, so I don't think seasonality disappears. There is an objective reality called the calendar and weather, and you know those things occur irrespective of whether or not we acknowledge them. Um, but I don't think that they play the same role in terms of teeing up and, and, and pre-qualifying consumers the way they used to. I mean, there's the, you know, the fact that I can buy stuff, we can buy stuff on the Internet now, anytime, anyplace, for whatever reason we want kind of blows up that model of I'm going to wait until November and go into or October and go into a store to try to find what I need. Sure. Um, it, so it's some of the mechanics that I think we took for granted as marketers are not necessarily um, automatic any longer. That's not to say that they, people still don't show up. I mean, there's a gift-giving moment, either eight nights for Hanukkah or, you know, whatever on Christmas morning, but... Um, how consumers get to those moments, those gift-giving moments, I think is less to do with the season that we used to call the holidays and is probably a year-long opportunity for marketers. Hmm. 
Because oh, yeah, of the technology we have to communicate with consumers and deliver products and services to them. So. That's an outstanding point. Consumer shopping uh, and buying patterns have changed because of technology, but yet I don't think that marketers have necessarily taken notice of that. Uh, certainly we hear every year uh, about the growing number of people that buy Christmas uh, gifts during the holidays. Of course, as you say, maybe that needs to be you know, broadened out beyond just uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas and, and post-Christmas to well, New Year's. Staying with the article for a moment, drama, Jonathan. Right? The price, you know, we know that retailers are going to charge us through the nose those couple months leading up to Christmas, and then starting January 1, all the stuff we bought will be available at half price in the stores. Of course. Yeah. We all know that, and we've been prisoners to that because the mechanisms of product delivery and service and, and didn't allow us to work around. Well, the Internet's blown that up. And combine that also with the ongoing relationship to your question earlier, Brad, about the you know opportunity for social media. How do you presume to have a conversation with your consumer, whether it's via Twitter or Facebook or anything else, during the year, and then come about October, screw them <laughs> with pricing or limited availability? Uh, it just it it, it the, we're, we're, consumers are keeping score; they're keeping track now. So I think the it was funny as I just read it, and you guys probably saw it too. I think it was last week. And I wrote about this uh, actually. The the early so early June, the Gap is is hunting for their holiday ad agency. It's oh, wow. June, and they're hunting for their holiday ad agency. Boy, are they ahead of the game or what? Right? <laughs> okay, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's absolutely wrong, but that's okay. Here in Houston, it's 100 degrees outside here in the month of June. It's uh, Jonathan. Uh, we're going to take a break here for one minute, Jonathan. Jonathan Baskin is our special guest, North American Director of Future Lab, the blogger too. Dimbald.net is, the, is the, uh, the blog site there as well. Rachel and Brent Forsyth on the Advertising Show. You want more? We'll give you some more here in just a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Hello, boys and girls. It's me, the Frito Bandido. You know what I heard about you? I heard you want to be a Frito Bandido like me. You too. Then you must sing the Bandido Ray and Brad song. with The Advertising Let's Show, and our very special guest out of Chicago is Jonathan Baskin. Uh, 27 years of experience driving customer purchases, building strong brands, and uh, having uh, led a number of uh, marketing initiatives across both digital and offline domains for such world-class brands as Apple. We talked about that. Blockbuster, ConAgra, and uh, other uh, leaders in the uh, the brand name Alphabet, so to speak, or letters, I should say, as well. With uh, with Ray and Brad on the advertising show, Jonathan, welcome back. You know, you talking about uh, Christmas uh, in June or Whatever this is, this was an accident. This was not on purpose. We're sitting in a Mexican restaurant last week, and they are playing Mexican Christmas tunes on the uh, on the overhead music. And it's like, shouldn't somebody tell them to change that? Uh, if you can imagine, uh, you know, the Mexican version of uh, Chip Davis and the Mannheim Steamroller in June, it just didn't make a lot of sense. But welcome back to the show, Thank Jonathan. You. Yeah, Jose Feliciano, we don't need you doing Feliz Navidad. Not yet. Not yet. You know, uh, staying yeah. with the article for a moment, Jonathan, you lay out several tips to get companies thinking about marketing for the holiday season now. And some of those that you mentioned in the article are 
Nix the Funny video or email campaign. Think social now. Make service a lead gen activity. Anticipate the rush. And finally, plan for the day after. Let's go back to the first one. Nix the Funny video or email campaign. So for those that uh, may be thinking about doing that again this year, you say put down the mouse. Don't do that. Yeah, it's like don't go toward the light. Um, You know, I, I, I don't think the world needs another dancing elf. (laughs) <laughs> um, or all the permutations thereof. I, I think we, we marketer, mar- smart guys, men and women, have proven their capacity to pleasantly waste people's time. I think that's great. And I've elfed myself and elfed my friends. And as I'm talking to you right now, I can't tell you the brand name attached to that campaign. Right. So at some point pretty early on in the equation, and you're right, in the article I'm saying, I ask the question now, what are we trying to accomplish? Because if the answer is pleasantly waste people's time, there are many very creative ways to do that. But yeah. to me, it seems like the strategy for any holiday re- retailer trying to make money over the holidays is how the hell do I sell stuff? Mm-hmm. And I, I just I think that you know there'll, there'll always be a digital agency that'll happily take your money to do funny stuff, but. I think come the holidays, especially you know, you, as we were talking earlier. Now, let's let's. What was the traditional period? Was it was the day after Thanksgiving, pretty much Black right. Friday, and then sure. you really have that kind of baton death march to Christmas morning uh, for for selling stuff. At that point, it's a shooting war, and I can't understand why any brand name, large or small, consumer service product, you name it, why they would be spending a penny of their money trying to be funny or entertaining at that point. Yeah, it, it, it really at that point it is it is do or die, and I think that that what we I, I kind of thought we would have already seen more of this, but we haven't because I think we're still feeling around with the whole social uh, space. But you know, we should start judging our the businesses and the efficacy of their marketing based on the direct correlation to sales, especially during the holiday season. Yeah, it's it's uh, showtime uh, as of Thanksgiving. It's not time to be screwing around trying to be funny. You know, one of your points that you make about uh, the tips for companies uh, about marketing for the holiday season that really got my attention made me you know the others the social you know think social now anticipate the rush plan for the day after that I think we could all speculate on what you mean by those points but the one that really got my attention was make service a lead gen activity and I thought now how in the world do you do that yeah it, it well the short answer is I have no idea um, <laughs> yeah. And that's the honest answer, which is, but it, it's the kind of question I would love to see more businesses ask yes, themselves. Yeah. But let me give you a for instance. Um, you know, we do a lot of time now, we being when I'm writing for IH, so my, my contemporaries there will happily write about how social tools like Twitter are a great mechanism for capturing customer complaints. In fact, I've had problems with my cable provider and had people tell me, well, tweet it and you'll get a call. Sure enough, I, I, I did. Um, To me, that's not customer service, because to me, that's putting out a fire that shouldn't have been burning in the first place. And for every person who's motivated to post a problem on Twitter, there's however many handful or dozens or hundreds of thousands who either have some lesser degree of problem or a greater problem that they're enduring, or for that matter, are not even thinking about your business or brand. They're just blithely going along using the product or service and thinking nothing of it. Why is customer service a problem-fixing function instead of a experience-enhancing function? 
So instead of waiting for something to break, mm-hmm. why couldn't your holiday strategy right now be to outreach to your consumers to make sure they're having one hell of a good time with what, you're, what you sold them? Mm-hmm. And instead of waiting for, as a matter of fact, interestingly enough, I got a call a couple days ago from my bank. It's a perfect example. Called me up and said, you're probably thinking of refinancing. We want to make sure we don't lose your business. Here's our rate. We'll rush you through the process. We'll support you. What, what do you think? Well, interestingly enough, I, I hadn't even been thinking about refinancing. Sure. But when they mentioned it, it was like, thank you. Thank you for preemptively offering me that benefit instead of waiting for me to comp- call and say, can you beat this rate? You know, it's a different, it's a different conversation when there's a problem. Yeah. You know, and think of right now, think of how many cell phone users are getting, excuse the French, crapped upon by their service plans. Sure. Because Verizon and AT&T don't pick up the phone, ha, 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 and call their customer and say, guess what? Before you trip over this problem, we want to make it better for you. Years ago, yeah. Verizon had a, pro- I had a problem with my phone, uh, and I've been a Verizon customer since it was GTE. I think you have as well, Brad, with, uh, back yeah. in the 80s. And uh, I-, I had been paying for voicemail service or something like that. It was like 5 bucks a month or whatever. So it goes unnoticed uh, over the period of time. But I asked on, upon one renewal. Uh, I said, uh, so you don't charge for uh, voicemail anymore? And they said, no, we don't. I said, well, then you owe me a refund. Uh, and they, yeah. they they went ahead and they, they they said they hadn't charged for years, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, you're going to pay me what I, what you owe me. And you're absolutely right. And what a great example of of the of the bank as well to uh, to come forward and say, listen, we've already got this figured out. We know you might be interested, so let's uh, let's talk about it. And what a great way to engage. I love that. Uh, we've got uh, Jonathan Baskin, our uh, special guest, who is the North American Director at Future Lab. Also, the blog that is very popular, and you may be on it already, With it's called dimball.net. We've got the continuation of our conversation with Jonathan here uh, coming up right now on The Advertising Show. Back as promised, it's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe with The Advertising Show. Out of Chicago this weekend, our special guest is Jonathan Baskin, North American Director at Future Lab, and also uh, the popular blog Dimbulb.net. Jonathan, welcome back. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks, Ray. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation. Great. Well, we can tell that, and we are as well. Jonathan, Twitter played an important role in helping marketers gauge consumer response to Super Bowl ads this past year. It used to be you know, just enough to get you to the website. Now social media is coming into play. Jonathan, how should advertisers use social media channels to connect with consumers? And, for example, let's just stay with the upcoming holiday season. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and I, it, it's, it, there's no one-size-fits-all strategy, obviously, but but I, I think a, a general st- focus or strategy, if you will, would be um, think less about Twitter or about Facebook and any other technology platforms, per se, and look at the very advertising budget entirely as a social function. Because arguably, every time you run an ad, you're having a conversation with the customer. It stinks, and they may not be answering or telling you back what you want them to tell you, but Everything you do is social. So in terms of prepping for the holiday, to me it seems to be, would be that the challenge would be to take that budget and take that creative and figure out how the bits and pieces of your, budget, your, your, your artifacts of, of marketing, whether they're ads, whether they're, for that matter, publicity releases, whether they're 140-character tweets, whether they're posts on your Facebook page, what have you, and look at it as all parts of a 
an integrated social, uh, an integrated conversation with your customer. Because they're, they're really, I, I think, if anything, one of, the, one of the big picture things that I think we're going to see happening over the next couple of years is that this idea that there's social media separate from media media is going to go away. Just like digital media and other media, the, the lines are getting blurred there, too. You're seeing some of the big agencies, in fact, folding their digital shops into, back into the fold mm-hmm. with the rest of the organization because the distinction is kind of arbitrary. You know, so to your point, you know, Brad, when you, you use a, a, a tweets to gauge the efficacy or, or retention on a TV spot, so what part of that is digital and what part of that isn't digital and who cares? Yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter, yeah. Yeah, and I thought the same was true when, you know, you delivered a certain number of visitors to your website in years past for, with a Super Bowl spot. If that's all you were trying to do, then, uh, you know, pat yourself on the back. But hopefully there was a transaction somewhere in that process, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that is really the aha, and if you will, that's the, that's the lodestone, the lingua franca, the fractal, whatever the hell you want to call it. The, the ultimate goal here is to sell stuff. This is the stuff that, you know, David Ogilvy, you know, I try to channel him whenever I can. You know, that's, that's the business we're in, which is transacting merchandise out of our warehouses, you know, digital or real, into people's hands and, and, and then homes or offices. So, you know, ultimately that's the measure of any of these campaigns. So even, you know, do I want to find out whether I find out via tweets or focus groups if you liked or remembered or respected my ad, there's still I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, the uh, kind of the ba-boom. It's, okay, comma, and when are you going to buy it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah, you know, Ray and I have talked so much about this uh, over the years, and I wanted to get your take on this. So often we see marketers who use the holiday season as strategy, frequently creating a totally separate and distinct campaign for the holidays, and then they just air it for a few months, and then they either go back to what they were doing before or use it as an excuse to create a whole new campaign for the new year. But yet you say, Jonathan, you don't have to have a holiday 2010 strategy that's separate from your entire year of 2010 strategy. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I'd actually offer up perhaps even the idea of there being a distinctly different holiday strategy is, in fact, counterproductive. Because it almost begs the question of, why did you wait till when the the time, this is now me as a consumer talking, why did you wait until the time when you knew I had to buy something to come up with something to, to, to spin me and, and charge me for versus, again, the whole premise behind the social function is that you have an ongoing relationship with your customer. Well, we always did, whether we had social technology or the Internet or television. I mean, before any of that, businesses always had relationships with their customers. The problem with the, 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 uh, the approach to sort of the distinct holiday approach is that it, it disregards the other nine months of that, that, that conversation and says... Yeah, 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 yeah. What we were telling you back in August, uh, not so much important. And now we want to tell you this, and that kind of yeah. violates this idea that we're really in a collaborative arrangement with uh, with our customers. So, to me, I think that the, the opportunity is to how do you build that consistency, that reliability, that if you will, that authenticity that says, "Hello, customer. I'm that brand that you've been talking to since February, and like I said back then." I wanted to help you have a great holiday. I'm not proposing this as creative necessarily, but you know, that I, I'm here for you, and I want your business. And like we've been talking about for the past year, this is what I got for you. Mm-hmm. 
to me, I, you know, but, obviously we got to sex it up. We have to make it passionate and meaningful and funny and hilarious and whatever else. But to me, that's the that that's one of the challenges posed to us by the the conversation that we have with our customers now. We can't pretend. Like there are these discrete periods where we can just sort of sort of be a different business. It's you know we're, it's, we're the business, and there's a the conversation, and it doesn't stop. Automotive industry, are you listening? Uh, <laughs> oh gosh, don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we as we wrap this up, uh, Jonathan, and by the way, dimbulb d i m b u l b dot net is your is your blog. I'm sure we'll mention that again later. Uh, you're a man for all seasons. You wear several hats, as Ray mentioned. I want to get your take on what we can learn from the BP disaster. Many companies are rethinking their crisis plans, I would imagine, as a result of what we're seeing uh, continue to, to roll out with regard to BP. We saw, you know, we saw Tiger Woods not being handled very well in terms of his thoughts on how to handle his crisis. Now we've got a a much bigger issue with BP that's going to impact millions, if not billions of dollars for the poor folks that make a living along the Gulf Coast. So what can we learn from a marketing standpoint or maybe from a crisis management standpoint from BP? Yeah, it, it, I've been thinking about this a lot. So I, I, it, I, I, the, the punchline, I think, on the BP disaster is really actually old-school crisis communications and old-school marketing, which is, if you have bad news, get it out early and get it out completely. Because what we're watching now is BP suffer a slow death because the lawyers and the marketing strategists all sort of conspired to try to lowball the, the enormity of the crisis and are in a constant, it's sort of like Napoleon, you know, gets a third of the way into Russia and then goes, oops, and then the entire rest of the campaign is slowly kind of backtracking back through the snow trying to get out alive. That's the, that's the maneuver BP's in. Now, imagine a different world where, as soon as the spill happened, Tony Hayward was on television saying, this is a national crisis. I'm asking for an appointment with the president. I want to lay out the call to other oil companies to join us. I want to, we've created a social media tool to let interested Americans volunteer to get involved. We need to react to this as if a meteorite has hit the planet, and we're in potential Armageddon state. I don't know how they could have gotten that through their, their, their lawyers, but had they done that, mm-hmm. the news would have been all about how things weren't as bad as we thought. Instead, it's the exact opposite, and it's just they're getting killed by not small cuts, but big cuts over and over and over again. So I think, again, the, the lesson is get ahead of things with full disclosure, and more importantly, give people something that they can do to help fix it, because the worst thing for BP now is that they have, how many Americans are there, 300, however many million, mm-hmm. are watching yeah. TV as fellow victims of this spill, versus there being ways for us to actually actively get involved to help fix it. Could have saved a ton on the advertising, the $25 million that they gave radio to say, it's not that bad. <laughs> and and the other part is, uh, yeah, come on down. Our beach is uh, a little bit oily, but, you know, what the heck. And the other the other one was the, uh, the the fact that he's running that ad over and over and over again. Too bad they didn't do a couple of takes of that ad to make it sound a little bit more realistic. It would be better to put a cam on, on Tony and have him uh, uh, track his whereabouts and what he's up to. Uh, in terms of uh, cleaning up the mess that they have created. I want my life back. Yeah, Yeah, right. You can get your life back in your next life, pal. Uh, Jonathan, we're out of time, but I want to say thanks, and uh, 
also, you, you, obviously, you can read uh, his regular column uh, in Advertising Age on uh, marketing leadership. Uh, of course, join the blog, dimbulb.net, or uh, just, uh, just find out more about Jonathan at uh, the North American Director at Future Lab as well. But uh, what a great... Uh, <laughs> What a great opportunity to meet you and talk to you here at the Advertising Show. It has certainly been a pleasure. Yeah, for me too, guys. I really appreciate it. So thank you very much. We love the upbeat attitude. Consider yourself running for president next time. Be a good idea. You got it. Not a bad idea. My mom and the two of you, I got three votes. You got it. Well, I think Brad's in too, so that's fine. We are going to take a break and come back with more on the Advertising Show. Hope you enjoyed this encore show here at the Advertising Show. It's being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show. A copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. We will talk to you again soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications. And it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.